0: This being the uh, sixth lecture in this series that I've called God's Glorious Salvation, we are in the middle of answering the question and looking at the debate that surrounds is salvation truly an act of God's absolute sovereignty or is our salvation something that we Contribute, we participate with along with God. So we're looking to answer in this in this uh, in this whole series. Um, last week, we 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 started looking at uh, a couple of verses that are key verses for um, that group of people that we call the remonstrants, the the protesters, specifically the protesters of the Reformation and the ideals of the Reformers. And we, we, we looked at um, some principles of hermeneutics, that science, that art of interpreting. And I, th- those, uh, those notes uh, we, we, we talked about last week and uh, I, I put them again in, in your notes for this week just as a, as a reminder if you didn't bring your stuff from last week. These are the, th- the three principles. There are many. But these are the three that we, uh, we, we looked at last week and we'll look at it again this week. Define the terms. Consider the context. Look for clarity. Define the terms. Last week we looked at the, the, uh, the term world. And how we find it in a variety of different ways in the scripture. It, it describes the earth. It describes um, uh, unbelievers. It res- describes uh, the godless system. If, if we um, are, are looking at, at verses like John 3.16, which we, we, we did look at briefly, we, we find the word world there and we wonder, well, what exactly does that mean? does it refer to every person without uh, exception? God so loved the world. Or does it fit uh, better to understand that um, as uh, a, a, uh, an inclusion of the Gentiles along with the Jews? I think the context says uh, that it'd be best for us to understand it that way. Um, consider the context, look, look for clarity. What, what is um, implicitly stated in one particular text, we, we need to find explicitly stated elsewhere. If, if something is hinted at or is a little fuzzy, a little murky, a little foggy, we're, we're going to look for other passages of scripture that, um, that, that, that clarify it, make, make, make things, um, fill it out a little bit for us. This morning, um, we're going to look at 1 um, uh, Timothy for most of our time together. We'll have other verses that we'll sprinkle in here, but this will be our our uh, the place where we land. So I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy. Chapter 2 is where we're going to start. <clears throat> and... Uh, th- this is one verse that a lot of people, people think is is really very, very crystal clear. But as we get into it a little bit, we're going to find it's not as clear as we would like. There's a number of ways, a number of options where we could take this, this text at a first reading Um uh, w- without without some study and without without some 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 thought it might lead us in one direction but after that study we might be tempted to move in a different direction here's the verse 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 who and the who refers to god from the previous verse verse 3 god our savior God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved. What does that mean exactly? Well, There's a couple of ways we could, we could start um, uh, uh, looking at this verse and trying to understand what, what, what Paul is writing here. We we could look at this from the point of view of God's will. Now last week we talked about his will of desire, his will of decree, his will of permission. God desires all men to be saved. Well, what's stopping him? Isn't God, the sovereign, isn't He the one who is large and in charge? Um, what, so what's stopping Him? If if this is His desire, people him. okay, that's 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 where we we normally will go. Yeah, people reject God. God is char- in charge, but people do what they do and they reject Him, and. and and that was one of the chief um, concerns, arguments, objections that the remonstrants had with the Dutch Reformed Church. They said, the remonstrants said, God's will can be resisted. Let's look at what Scripture says regarding God's will, God's sovereign will. Now, um, I've I've passed out some some scripture references, so you're you're going to be reading um, those verses if you would please and read loudly, so uh, so we can we can pick your voice up. Um, we're, we're listening for for what does scripture say about God's will. Psalm one fifteen three, our God is in the heavens; He does all that He pleases. Mm. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, and in the seas, and in the depths. whatever He does. Isaiah 46, 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been, been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 uh, Romans 9:19 9, Resists his will. Ephesians one eleven. He works all things according to the of his purpose. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now let's let's put this uh, uh, on hold for just a second. Keep your finger here in in First Timothy, and I want you to look over at John nineteen. Okay, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna explore this in this this question in in a slightly different way for just just uh, just a few moments. John nineteen, Jesus is on the cross. He has been on the cross for six hours, and it says in verse thirty, John nineteen thirty. When Jesus had received the sour wine, and all that did was moisten his lips so that he could utter what we're going to read he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit question what was finished is Jesus saying my life is finished well yeah it was finished God's will was finished in what sense we could ask it this way what did Jesus come to accomplish? What was specifically God's will for his life? To be an atonement. Okay, so, so to pay for sin. So here's the question Did Jesus, when he said it's finished, did he actually accomplish salvation or did he make salvation possible did he make did he did he actually accomplish salvation or did he just make it possible back to 1 Timothy God desires all men to be saved All right, we've already established that God's will is going to be accomplished. And Jesus came accomplishing God's will, namely the salvation of men's souls. I don't think he came and simply made that salvation possible for those who would choose it. He actually accomplished something. So when it says that he desires all men to be saved, is God frustrated? (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Because he really wants man to be saved, and he's made it all possible, but mankind has to say yes. What I want you to see here is as we spin out this idea of God desiring all men to be saved, if we say that God is sovereign up to right here, where man says yes or no, I believe, I don't believe, I accept your gift of salvation, I don't accept your gift of salvation, then the creature has more authority than the creator at that point and on that particular occasion. Um, what, what What that means is that the will of the creature supersedes the will of the creator at that time, at that decision, at that particular moment. Is that what scripture teaches? I think there's another way we could look at this particular verse. And it doesn't have to do with the word desires as much as it has to do with the word all. Look again at the verse. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What does the word all mean? Marianne knows. Oh, stop. You're, 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 you're messing up my <laughs> flow of things. You read my notes. <laughs> no, that was a rhetorical question, dear. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I, wa- I want you to look at verse 1. Of chapter two, so we're go- we're going to we're going to use use our, our, our second rule of hermeneutics, and we're going to look at the context. We're we're exploring what does the word all mean specifically in verse four. But 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 look at verse two. I'm sorry, verse one. Well, and two. Let let me read those two verses. First of all, oh, there's our word all. First of all, then I urge that in treaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that they may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now here we have a variety of different ways that the word all is used. First, when he says first of all, He's talking about the all of priority. priority. The all of priority. First of all, in, in, in matters of greater importance here, then he continues, I urge that, etc., etc. In verse 2, he says, um, I, I want um, these people to lead... Uh, a, a quiet and tranquil, a, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So here we have a different kind of all, an all of quality. We're talking about uh, a manner of life. Um, the all that I'm, I'm interested in is at the end of verse 1. Um, it says, uh, these prayers petitions be made on behalf of all men. All men. Each time, it's the same Greek word. So, so we're, we're, we're talking about something similar here, but this particular word all is a pretty big umbrella, and you can put all kinds of things in it. The question here, we find it in verse 4, we we also find it here in verse 1, is the all, as in all men, an all of quantity? Or an all of... Mm and all of quality means um, all um, without exception and all of inclusion means all of uh, different kinds or different sorts so the word all um, would, would say This one is represented, and this one is represented, and this one over here is represented, or, is he saying, all in terms of a collective whole? We're talking about everything. All right. Well, let's stay here. In this book, written by one author, how does Paul use this elsewhere? How does he use this word, all elsewhere? In chapter 6... Uh, verse 10 uh, chapter 6 verse 10 first Timothy uh, we we have this this uh, familiar reading from the King James the love of money is the root of all evil the word all there um, it, it what, what kind of word is that is that an all of priority and all of quality and all of quantity and all of Ex, uh, if, of inclusion, well, if we, if we're, if we're looking at maybe one of these last two, this is where we're gonna we're gonna find our our greatest help. Um, is um, money the root of all evil? Without exception, well, you look at the Garden of Eden. Um, all, all manners of, of uh, all manners of all kinds of sin uh, you, you you don't always find the, the transaction of money you certainly didn't find it in the garden so 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 to say that that the that uh, money is the root of all evil without exception um, we know that that's that's not that's not accurate um, it it refers to uh, the all of inclusion, all kinds of evil. And NAS, um, NIV, New King James uh, talk about, or, or translate that, all kinds of evil or all sorts of evil. Is it possible that the all in First Timothy 2, 4 refers to all kinds of people? God desires not all people without exception, but but all kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Is that possible? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul writes, first of all, in matter of priority, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving, be made on behalf of all men. Is that an all of quantity or inclusion? We don't know until we read the next verse when Paul says <clears throat> for kings and all who are in authority okay so he has he has specified those for whom he is urging us to pray specifically for kings and those in authority so this is a this is a all of inclusion i want you to be praying for all types of men specifically those kinds that are kings, those kinds that are in positions of authority. Why? Be, because it is those people that will allow you, enable you, to live a quiet and tranquil, tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. Verse 3. Well, this is good. This is acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men. Consistency tells us we, we, we need to we need to follow what we've already observed from chapter two verse one. The all there is not an all of, of quantity, it's an all of inclusion. All kinds of men. It is consistent that we 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 see the the all in verse four as the same kind of all from verse one. God desires all kinds of men to be saved and to come to their knowledge of the truth. The word all, all by itself, is fuzzy. It's foggy. It doesn't clearly reveal who Paul is talking about. It demands that we do our homework. The word all seems to refer, from chapter 2, verse 1, to all kinds of men and he desires all kinds of men to be saved further we keep going in the in the in the text for there is one God one mediator also between God and men the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all what kind of all is this is he is he talking about he, he, he has given himself as a ransom for all men without exception? Is he is he using the all of quantity? Or is he rather consistent and saying he's using the all of inclusion here? He has ransomed all kinds of men. The text is not crystal clear. Which is which is what, what we are we are looking for. We we are we, we need to have some 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 clarity here. Well, I'm I'm going to leave that that a little open, a little um, uh, with a little tension here, and I want you to look over at chapter four for a parallel passage. Chapter four, verse ten. I'm just going to focus on the end of that verse. Paul writes, We have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Okay. Well, um, this initially might murky the waters a little bit. Let's just take it at at, at face value. The living God is the Savior of all men. Is he using the all of quantity? He is the Savior of all people? Well, if we are speaking in a salvific sense, we have just stepped into the world of of, um, uh, universalism, Uh, into a heresy, and we are in deep theological weeds right now. And Paul has just contradicted himself. Because he says in chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says, in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They will fall away so that they're not saved? Look at chapter 1, verse 19. Paul writes there, Some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Wait a minute. How can he be the Savior of all men, and some have fallen away, some make a shipwreck of their faith? Paul's not saying, in chapter 4, verse 10, that all, the all of quantity, all without exception, have God as their Savior. We could easily see in verse 10 of chapter 4 that Paul is saying, um, we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all kinds of men. We simply can't look at that and say, this is all without exception. It, it, it logically, it doesn't fit. But I don't think that's the best way to look at verse 10. And it's because of the last phrase We have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Wait, 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 wait. He's the savior of all kinds of men. Let's use that understanding of all for just a second. He's the savior of all kinds of men, especially of believers. So believers are more saved than other kinds of people? I think there's a better way to look at this first. I think that the all in chapter 4, verse 10, is the all of quantity. He is the Savior of all, every single person. And the key to understand that, I think, is in the word Savior. What does it mean that God is our Savior? Now, I passed out some uh, some verses to, to, to some of you. Uh, with regard to um, um, this 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 point, the Old Testament uh, uses this idea of God and uh, men to be saviors. So, kings, judges are called saviors or deliverers. Let's re- read a couple of those. Um, I'll give you the reference. And those that I've uh, given those cards to, if you please read those. Judges chapter 3, verse 9. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver him. Othniel, the son of Hanaz, Caleb's younger brother. Okay. One of my heroes of the Old Testament, Caleb. Um, one of the two, as adults that left Egypt, that was allowed into the Promised Land, his nephew, Othniel, one of the judges in uh, in that period of, of Israel's history, um, is called a a savior, a deliverer. Now, the, the, the four passages of scripture that we're going to look at use the same Hebrew word, yasa, savior. Um, um 2 Kings chapter 13 verse 5 please the lord gave israel the of the from of that that word deliverer can also be tra- translated savior it's the same hebrew word and we're not the that particular verse is not is not clear but it appears as though uh, king uh, Jehoahaz has Is the one who is called the Savior, the Deliverer. All right? Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 27, please. Therefore, thou didst deliver them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to thee in the time of their distress, thou didst hear them from heaven, and according to thy great compassion, thou didst give them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. Okay? Translated deliverers there, or Saviors in other translations um th- th- uh, god gave others to be the deliverers the saviors all right um, psalm 36 verse 6 please your righteousness is like the mighty mountains your justice like the great sea psalm 36 6 um, yes unless I, I wrote it down wrong well, there is another verse in uh, <laughs> in the Old Testament. There's a, there's more than one um, that uses the same Hebrew word, uh, Yasan to to refer to um, uh, uh, other other saviors, other deliverers. Now, I, I, I put this in the context of verses like Matthew chapter five, where we we read that. Um, the sun falls the rain falls on the just and what the unjust the righteous and the unrighteous in this sense in a temporal sense in a physical sense god is the savior the deliverer the helper uh, the the one who cares for all people the all of quantity he he cares for um the unrighteous by sending them sun and rain when it's necessary, as well as for the righteous. So back to First Timothy uh, 4. When, when, we, when we read uh, Paul's words, uh, the living God is the Savior of all men, we're saying that in, in a quantitative sense, God, who is the sovereign. Takes care of, of, of us all, in a in a temporal and a physical way. But especially for believers, does he care for us in an eternal way? He saves us in in, in a way that he he does not save the unbeliever. What? Go ahead. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. He, he 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 saves, rescues, delivers uh, believers in a in a in a special way, in a, a salvific way. Um, so my so my point here in in First uh, Timothy, chapter two, then again in chapter four, um, when when we read verses like God desires all men to be saved, or we read um, He is the Savior of all men. Um, God is a savior of all men. But, uh, th- those verses, by themselves, are are not clear. We think they are clear because we come to verses like this with a preconceived notion. Oh, how many how many preachers have we heard say that that uh, God God saves everyone or. He, he, makes, he, he, he is yearning for, for uh, unbelievers to come to faith in him. So, so we, we, we come to a text of scripture like this with, a, with a, a certain preconceived notion of what the word all, for example, means. And it doesn't always mean what we initially think it means. There may be a better way to understand it, which is my point. In, um, in, 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 in light of our, our, our search for clarity, I, I would encourage us to, to go to Romans chapter 9, which I think is, is, is a, a more clear verse that we should allow to interpret verses like uh, 1 Timothy 2.4, uh, 1 Timothy 4.10, uh, because those are not as clear even though we initially might think they're pretty clear. Romans chapter 9, verse 8. I'm sorry, no, verse uh, uh, 14. What should we say then, Paul writes? There is no injustice in God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Let me pause here for just a second. When he says, uh, it does not depend, he's talking about our salvation. He says, so, so our salvation does not depend upon the man who wills. It doesn't depend upon the choosing of man. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs. That is, by our activity, our most earnest desires. My salvation isn't dependent upon my choice or my activity, my my doing. Listen to what I just said. My salvation does not depend upon my choice. Do I have a choice in my salvation? Do I make a choice? Better stated, do I make a choice in my salvation? Absolutely! But it's not dependent upon my choice. We're talking about um, priority. and, and here's the, here's the crux of, of the question. Is my salvation dependent upon God to be the first mover? And then I become the mover that moves in response to his moving? Or has God simply made salvation possible for anybody and everybody? And it's dependent upon me to be the mover. Are unbelievers swimming in the deep end, floundering, unable to swim, going down for the last time? God throws them the life buoy. Is it dependent upon me to grab it, or am I at the bottom of the swimming pool, dead, and I am totally dependent upon God to move, to act, to 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 do something? First, to which I respond. That's that's what we're asking. Verse um, sixteen. It, it it does not depend upon the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God, who shows mercy. For the Scripture says of Pharaoh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> for this very. <coughs> For this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he has on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Pharaoh is his first um, uh, example here. You will say of me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? The, the thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or, or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use, another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with such patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for, um, for his glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews uh, only, but also from among the Gentiles. All right. I'm going to open up for questions in just a minute. Let me let me let me summarize everything in this way. God desires all men, all kinds of men, rather, to be saved, and He fulfilled that desire in the death of Christ. All those desired by God were indeed ransomed payment was made, salvation was realized. Yes, God helps and he delivers all men without exception. But for believers, he saves them, delivers them in a special sense.